Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name's Ryan. My name's Brent. And this episode, we're discussing SST 256, the HR Charge album. Always love getting into a record by HR or the Bad Brains or anything related to Bad Brains, but this is definitely one of HR's most well-loved records, I would say, oh, yeah. because because it's just absolutely killer. Like, for good reason. People love this record. So can't wait to get into this one. And we've got a special guest. Yeah, we've got Linwood Taylor on the show. Yeah, really cool to have Linwood on. It's a short-ish interview, but it's still awesome because as our listeners know, the the information out there about these HR records and these recording sessions, they're they're pretty sparse, yeah. sometimes kind of inconsistent with each other. But to have someone who is actually there for these sessions and to play on this record, it's really interesting for me to have that as kind of a window into the way that HR would put together a record like this, which is just an awesome record. And Linwood was there, so we're really fortunate to have him on the show. Yeah. Before we get into it, though, Brent, why don't you hit us with some spiels? Okay, I have a kind of an HR-themed spiel. Oh, excellent. Yeah. You know, Ryan, I'm a... I'm a big fan of roots reggae, as you know. Uh, not something I've—I don't think I've talked a lot about on the show. I'm pretty fussy about about it, like production-wise. So much of the stuff from the '80s suffers from electronic drums, bad keyboard sounds, um, overproduction. Although not all of it. So I'm gonna give my top five, in Whoa. no particular order, roots reggae albums. Okay. And disclaimer, I love Bob Marley's music, but I'm not including any Bob Marley uh, because everyone already knows it. So I wanted to pick five more somewhat obscure albums or artists. Okay, cool. Okay. Culture, harder than the rest. I know you and I have talked about culture before, Ryan, but I just love oh, yeah. it. This is their best record, in my opinion, 1978. Virgin Frontline. Frontline is the kind of legendary reggae subsidiary of Virgin, started by Richard Branson. His love of and support for reggae is, is one of the main reasons John Lydon signed a deal with Virgin when he formed Pill. And John famously acted as sort of an A&R guy for the label, for Frontline. Branson sent him to Jamaica in 1978 to sign reggae artists to the label. There's an excellent box set called Sounds of Reality with tons of the singles and, and album cuts that came out on Frontline. John talks about his his time in Jamaica in the liner notes also. So cult, Culture formed in 1976 in Kingston. Super long history, I won't really get into it, but one of the three main vocalists in the group, Joseph Hill, kept the group going right up until his death on stage in 2006. Ish. All of their 70s albums just rule. For me especially, International Herb, Baldhead Bridge, and their classic debut, Two Sevens Clash, mm -hmm. which is where supposedly the Clash took their name from. You're a big Clash fanatic, Ryan. Is that confirmed? Have, have the band members said that? I'd say it's fair to say that that was a, a big inspiration for taking on the name The Clash, but there are other comments out there that suggest that it's from headlines and things like that the word clash was quite prominent around that time frame but their love of reggae and that particular record certainly supports that if that wasn't it it's a huge contributor to what 
drew them in that direction. But Bernie, their manager at the time, was really into words and and slogans and clash was something that he was really into as well. So who knows? Who's to say? I guess there was a lot of clashes going on between like, you know, a lot of labor unrest. and In the UK. Yeah. In the UK, it was like a headline all the time. Okay. Well, Harder Than the Rest by Culture is for me just a total classic. So many great ho- songs like Behold, Holy Mount Zion, Love Shine Bright. Awesome record. The next one I'm going to mention is Bunny Whaler, Blackheart Man. For me, Neville, Bunny Whaler Livingston's output following the dissolution of the Whalers rivals Bob Marley and Peter Tosh's, but is kind of overshadowed by the two of them, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, but for whatever reason, he just never seems to get even the same amount of reverence as they do. And Bob Marley is in a league of his own as far as his iconic status around the world. But yeah. but Bunny's 70s output is untouchable. For me, his most solid album is actually 1983's Roots, Radix, and Rockers, which is the international version of his late 70s album, In I Father's House. But his 1976 debut, Blackheart Man, on his own Solomonic um, label in Jamaica anyways, an island tough gong internationally, has the greatest roots rock reggae song of all time on it. And that's, Jeez. yeah, that's his protest song, Fighting Against Conviction, which he wrote after being arrested for marijuana possession. It's just such a, such a legendary song. Other greats like the title track, Reincarnated Souls, This Train, uh, his former Whalers bandmates, Bob Marley and Peter Tosh are both on the album. Uh, the classic Sly and Robbie rhythm section, who played on hundreds, if not thousands, of reggae albums. Family Man Barrett on drums, also, who's played on like hundreds of classic reggae albums. Uh, Peter Tosh also released Legalize It, and Bob Marley released Rasta Man Vibration the same year. So it's no wonder reggae music started to blow up in the in the mid seventies. Yeah, do you think Peter Tosh gets more? recognition because of his association with the Rolling Stones or just the the more in your face of his you know marijuana type of uh persona uh maybe it's the Stones connection I mean he was more political I would say and Mm. more less uh, less about you know Rastafarianism and stuff like that but I think his early death and and his violent death kind of contributed to his legend Uh, you know yeah 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 Fair, fair point. Number three, The Gladiators, Serious Thing. The Gladiators were one of these vocal groups to come out of uh, the Trenchtown ghetto. Started recording in the late 60s at Studio One with Coxton Dodd, mostly singles, which was kind of how it was was done, you know, in the early 70s, um, especially as ska and Rocksteady evolved into the classic roots reggae of the 70s. Their earliest material kind of shows that evolution. In 1986, when reggae was exploding, they signed with Virgin and released back-to-back classics with Trenchtown Mix-Up and Proverbial Reggae. Now, about 10 years ago, give or take, uh, that label Omnivore Recordings, primarily a reissue label, purchased the back catalog of a St. Louis indie label called Nighthawk that had released a ton of albums uh, by Roots artists in the 80s. Uh, and they began to reissue them, including some great ones from the Gladiators, like Full Time, Dread Prophecy, Symbol of Reality, and the awesome 1984 album, Serious Thing. 
a lot of these Nighthawk recordings are re-recordings of older songs, which lots of reggae artists did. Oh, uh, yeah. But the production isn't dated like a lot of the 80s, 80s reggae. Songs like My Thoughts, Freedom Train, and a top 10 just like feel-good roots classic called Rearrange on this record. If I'm feeling low, low down, I put that track on and it never fails to lift my spirits, just like the best roots reggae does. And remember one and all, no one is free until every man is free. Truth. Number four, the Itals, Give Me Power, 1983. Again, Nighthawk Records. There were a number of reggae groups using this name, the Itals, uh, but this vocal group from Westmoreland Parish, Jamaica, are the best and most well-known. They formed in 1976 and released a bunch of singles in the 70s. But the first album, also on Nighthawk, didn't come out until 1981. This is their second and my fave, Gimme Power, although the follow-up, Rasta Philosophy, is also great. Classics like Jock Hauling, Roll River Jordan. And number five, the group was called the Rastafarians. The album's called Orthodox, 1981. One of the greatest overall roots reggae albums of all time, probably the greatest. California-based group, Guitarist Constantine Vision Walker had played with Bob and Rita Marley, and some of the musicians had connections to Ross Michael that played in this group, the Rastafarians. They're all Jamaican expats. This is the only album the group produced, and like so much of this stuff, it's kind of shrouded in mystery, which is part of the appeal for me of reggae. Mm. Uh, songs like This Young Music, Roll Call, up there with that Bunny Whaler song, Fighting Against Conviction is possibly, you know, one of the greatest reggae songs ever. See Kim, another good one. Just everything on this album so good. Of course, I could have picked five more. Or I could have picked 20 more albums, um, you know, if you if, if I was doing this at another time. But for sure, this Rastafarian's album, it will always be in there. Um, so many great artists. Max Romeo, Jacob Miller, Wailing Souls, Burning Spear, Peter Tosh, Dr. Alimentado, a, f- a favorite of John Lydon's, actually. Uh, Keith Hudson, the Twinkle Brothers, Justin Hines, Israel Vibration, and of course, all the great British groups like Steel Pulse, Aswad, Talisman. There are just tons of great British reggae comps. I would recommend one called the Bristol Reggae Explosion. And I haven't even touched on all the amazing dub reggae, Ryan. Yeah, and hey, just a quick plug for some Canadian bands too. Don't forget about the Satellites and Messenger. Yeah. Right? Yeah, there was good reggae all over the world, man, especially after, you know, Bob Marley blew up. Totally, totally. That's awesome. Well, a couple of recommends in there for me that I hadn't really uh, dug into before, so good one. Yeah, that's it for me, uh, Ryan. What do you have? i got to read the news real quick for you. i got to do some books and tunes and a rock doc shout out. Oh, boy, I love it. <laughs> yeah, get your pen out. <laughs> uh, so, a couple of books, okay? Yeah. Um, The first one is called Euphoric Recall. Half a century as a music fan, producer, DJ, record executive, and tastemaker by Peter Jesperson. It's coming out on the Minnesota Historical Society Press, and we've mentioned Peter on the show a ton of times. Uh, Founder of Twin Tone Records, worked at Orr Folk Jokopus, worked at Jay's Longhorn as a DJ, a booker, uh, worked with The Replacements, Soul Asylum, The Jayhawks, dozens more, Dwight Yoakam, Steve Earle. This is out in November. Got to read this one. Yeah, that and, sounds 
that sounds great. Yeah, it'll be good. Another one that caught my attention, a book by Barrett Martin about his time in The Screaming Trees called The Greatest Band That Ever Wasn't, The Story of the Roughest, Toughest, Most Hell-Raising Band to Ever Come Out of the Pacific Northwest, The Screaming Trees, written as a comedy tragedy in three acts. Um, You can order it from barrettmartin.com. You can't uh, order it if you're from Canada yet, but hopefully you will before the end of the year. So far, it's just U.S. orders, and later on in the year, there will be international orders. Mm. Worldwide release in November is what it says, so hopefully we'll be able to order from then, but I'm sure that'll be a great accompaniment to uh, Lanigan's book. Yeah. All right, some tunes, man. Um, Going back to Canada, actually, i got to mention a live album by Teenage Head. Yeah, so is this the same recording as Endless Party? You know what? The track order is different. Yeah. And not all the songs are the same, but it really seems like it might be. And I can't tell because it it says remastered or remixed or whatever, you know? I spent like an hour trying to find out. I mean, I'm going to still buy it, but... Yeah, me too, me too. I, I will get it, I will get it too, but here's my beef about it, okay? Well, first of all, I should tell people, okay, it's called Teenage Head Performance Live at Heatwave from 1980, a live performance remastered. You can get like an ultra package with all these posters. The DVD comes on splatter vinyl. You can get a CD version. And for those who of our listeners who know Teenage Head, they're like the Canadian Ramones, an absolutely stellar band. Uh, tragic story, but insanely amazing music. I I always get pumped when I see anything Teenage Head. So I was really excited about this too. I had the same question. Is this the same as their Endless Party live album, which is a classic? And and I want to get this record, but here's, here's my beef about this one. I went to order just the LP, just the LP, okay? Yeah. And... And this is a Canadian band. I don't know where this company is that's putting it out, but this is a Canadian band. Hopefully, eventually, it'll be stocked in the record shops. But for me to order it, $70 Canadian. Wow. Just to get the record shipped to my house. Just the record. Yeah. That's just too much. No matter how much you live Teenage Head, I'm going to wait that one out and get it at a more decent price eventually. Yeah, same. Ridiculous. $39 US without shipping. Yeah. Um, Got to mention a couple of Manor Asterman singles. Always love Manor Asterman. Always will. Out on Chunklet Industries. Um, always love supporting Chunklet as well, too. Go and check out their website. There's lots of cool stuff to dig into there. And then finally, on the tunes front, on the SS Tree, I can't recall whether I mentioned this, so I got to make sure that I do. Folk Implosion have kind of re-released the music that they did for that film Kids. You remember that movie Kids? Yeah like from the 90s or whatever. Um, It's called Music for Kids, and it also has additional tracks related from the Dare to be Surprised LP sessions. So this is a cool find on the SS Tree, bit of a repackaging reissue on Domino Records. Always love Folk Implosion. And then finally, Brent, here's a rock doc alert for you. You probably saw this too. Omar and Cedric, if this ever gets weird, the documentary about Omar and Cedric from At the Drive-In and the Mars Volta. Oh, no way. I did not see that. Oh, okay. Culled from over 20 years of footage uh, collected by Omar Rodriguez Lopez about his 
artistic relationship with Cedric Bixler Zavala. Of course, this is hitting the festival circuit now. Never know when we'll ever get to see it. Yeah. Some of these ones that are culled together from, you know, 20 years of footage taken by the person are okay. I hope this one's good because um, this might be the only ever at the drive-in, you know, Mars Volta documentary we ever get. So I hope it's good. Yeah, well, I'll for sure check it out. And that's it, man. That's all I got. Right on. Want to get into this awesome, awesome reggae album? One, two, three. Charge. <laughs> History lesson, part one. Yeah, so like I said, man, do we love HR. The playing and the sound on this record is insane. We'll get into it in History Lesson 2, and of course, HR vocals are stellar. It's amazing when you start looking into this record about how well-regarded it is. Like everyone, when they're talking about HR at this point in his career and his recording career and performance career, they really point to it as a high point. Oh, yeah, it's his and most focused solo album. For sure. Yeah, yeah, it's insane. Um, but I thought, because again, like this story through the SS tree, through the SST catalog, it's kind of all over the place. I thought I'd still go through and give us an episode rundown just to kind of set the stage for where we are, where we're picking up with HR and Linwood. Sure. So here, yeah, so here I, are the... I, I compiled one too, so I'll, I'm going to be judging you. Okay, please. please. Well, <laughs> hey, hey, come on, judge not. Judge not. Uh, all right, here we go. Uh, we started off our journey with the Bad Brains and HR at episode 65 with the Bad Brains record, Eye Against Eye. Obviously not their first record. Then we went to episode 117, the HR Human Rights record, where we had Kenny Dredd on as a guest. Then to episode 160, the live record, where we had Daryl Jennifer from the band on the episode. That was killer. 168 was the Ross Michael record. You already mentioned Ross Michael. That's the Zion train record. 171 is the HR tapes record where we had Ho Gonzalez on the show. 173 is the HR Now You Say record with Jim Ebert on who actually engineered this charge record. So very cool there. Episode 177 is the HR Keep Out of Reach record where we had Mark Riffle on the show. 179 is the HR It's About Love record where we had Steve Hanner on. 224 was the HR Singing in the Heart with William Banks on the show as a guest. And then 228, Spirit Electricity, the live record where we had the Bad Brains manager, longtime manager, Anthony County on the show. Did I get them all? Uh, did you do Singing in the Heart? I did. Okay, yeah, you missed one. 213. <laughs> Which one did I miss? 213, Program Annihilator 2. Oh, come um, on. A comp. Okay, yeah. No, no, no. Fair fair game. Fair game. You got me. You got me. All right. So where are we, though, with HR? Where the heck are we? Because, again, as you go through the catalog in chronological order, it's all over the place. And, of course, as I mentioned, the details, especially about these HR records, they are tough to pull together. But uh, we are actually right after or relatively shortly after the quickness album came out which was released by caroline records in 1989 which we've gushed about on the show before i'm pretty sure it's your favorite bad brains record Brent. it is yeah but ever no one else seems to really like it it's weird <laughs> people just shit on that record really yeah yeah i don't know i feel you know 
that era of Caroline Records too, and some of the bands that they had on around then, maybe maybe it has a bit of that associated with it. I don't know. That's that is a rock solid record for me. Yeah. I don't know, and I feel like HR, as I mentioned already as well, in his prime on yeah. that record, totally. Um, now, when you want to learn a bit more about like what happened, you know, after the Quickness record to lead us to this HR charge record. The best place that I could find was the Finding Joseph I book. This is an oral history of HR from Bad Brains, written G. by... Gee, I wonder what happened, Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> hold on, hold on. Um, written by Howie Abrams and James Lathos. We've mentioned this one probably on every one of those episodes that I mentioned. This is on uh, Lesser Gods Press from 2017, absolutely essential if you're a hr and bad brains fan it's a great read but again what happened was after recording quickness they went and toured europe and you know you're kind of alluding to it hr quit there was a major blow multiple blowouts it sounds like between hr and the band um if you read the book it sounds like actually there was a physical altercation between hr and daryl in particular um, so upsetting for Daryl, he actually cut off his dreads, it says in the book, wow. which is which is insane. And it was really just to to show HR how upset he was at him, I guess. In 1990, HR records with the Bad Brains again, an amazing record, Quickness. They're in, on tour in Europe. They have multiple blowouts. HR quits the band. And then HR returns back to wanting to play more roots reggae focused music and here's a quote from earl hudson from the finding joseph i book here's earl hr wanted to focus more on just playing reggae music i think he was done with the aggressive violent punk rock stuff i think that phase of his life was over it's something that is part of us punk rock music and then you have reggae music too that's why we always tried to blend that stuff it depends what you want to do in life. If you don't want to do it no more, you don't have to do it. We're not 70 or 80 years old, so we're still healthy enough to play rock music. So I don't think there would be a problem doing that, but he's the lead singer. And if he doesn't want to do that, then we can't really do it anymore. If he wants to play reggae, and if everyone in the band wants to back him doing that, then so be it. But if not, go do what you want to do. Go do your own thing. And that's really what HR ended up doing. And he pulled together this group of musicians at uh, a Q Studios to record this Charge record. Now, the musicians that HR pulled together at Q Studios to record this record, uh, some of them we've seen before, some of them are new, some of them we still don't know much about. Um, but again, thankfully, we've got Linwood on the show to shed some light on that. Drums again on this record was Earl, HR's brother from the Bad Brains. Uh, on guitar, Linwood is one of the guitarists. Also, there's Alvarez Tolson, who played on the Singing in the Heart record. Another guitarist called Ross Reggie. Uh, Scott Causey. He was in um, a band later on called MFD, Music for the Deaf. There's two records out from the late 80s. On keyboards, William Dubois Fields. On percussion, William Holmes, um, also known as Shoddy Put, a rapper from Atlanta, Georgia. 
okay. who uh, <laughs> who uh, played on some Little John records. It looks like I don't know if it's the same shoddy put. I don't know. Um, trumpet Dean Harris, who played on some Trouble Funk records that you talk with Linwood about uh, in the eighties. Of course, Trouble Funk, a legendary DC area go-go band. The saxophone player was Jaguar. Um, backing vocals, a number of people will talk about them when we go through the tracks. And then on bass, one of the absolute highlights for me on this record, the bass player is a guy named Englishman, Errol Englishman Briscoe. Englishman put out a number of excellent solo reggae records I didn't know about, actually. I only discovered them for the first time, checking out this record and all the players for the show. His records are on Mighty Roots Records, from the mid to late 80s some of them do definitely fall prey to that 80s production for sure they do but yeah, yeah but killer tracks um they're also very hard to find and they're super expensive I'm, did you check I'm, any did you check out any of them yeah i i've heard them before i some of them i, I that's his label i'm pretty sure okay yeah yeah like it's so an they indie, might... it's an indie thing which is why they're hard to find i think yeah private press yeah. i guess maybe yeah um but Again, one of the absolute highlights for me on this record. Um, but here, from the Finding Joseph I book, here's a quote from Englishman about pulling everyone together for this record. We got into the studio and did the Charge album after HR quit Bad Brains again. When they were touring after Quickness came out, it was a real nice vibe, positive vibes. HR just came in and sang a melody or he'd bang it out on the piano. Me and Earl would rub it down a little bit then he'd say, that's it. Yes, Rasta, that's it. We just went from track to track nonstop like that. You can see when you listen to Charge, it's free-flowing. And you can. What did he say? They would rub it rub it down? Me and Earl would rub it down a little bit. <laughs> nice. Pretty good. Pretty good, hey? Huge kudos to the to the uh, guys that wrote this book. Howie and James, yeah. Yeah, like... These people are so hard to find, man. Like, I tried like hell to, to track down Englishmen. <laughs> and, no like, doubt. how do you even find Ross Reggie? Or Jaguar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. So, anyways, they, they get into Q Studios. They record this absolutely classic, legendary record. Highly, There's so many people in this chapter of the book who are just like, this is the record. This is the one, right? Yeah. And then HR actually, like he up and moves to the West Coast of the U.S. Yeah. And then he start he starts playing this music and well, you know, his catalog of music, and yeah. again onto another kind of group of musicians, and he picks up this band called the Scattered Few, to be his band. Um, so here's a quote from Alan. I think it's Aguar from the Scattered Few, and, and again, from Finding Joseph I. Check this out. In 1990, Joseph, that's HR, called me and said he was coming to the West Coast without his band to do a series of shows to support Charge and asked if my band would be the backup band. I was honored by that request. He could have called pretty much anyone. This is right after Quickness. Bad Brains was doing really well, and Charge is an excellent album. So I spent the next three to four weeks whipping my boys into shape and learning it. If you can replicate your album live, I think it's always going to make for a better show. So it was my goal that we replicate Charge. 
Scattered few consisted of my brother, Omar on bass, Samuel on drums, Jamie Mitchell on electric guitar, I was the vocalist, and my brother on keyboards. We flushed out the whole album, then went straight into the studio and started rehearsing with HR. He might have been surprised at how easy it was. He just needed to sing. Then we jumped in the van and went up and down the West Coast. We did about a month's worth of shows. HR did a radio interview in San Francisco where he said something like, I'm doing this now. I'm not really focusing on the bad brains. He basically hands off the mantle of the bad brains to scattered few. It was quite the compliment. Hmm. There's no way that audiences would have accepted a bad brains album that was pure reggae. Yeah, it would have been tough. Like, it would have been tough. You know, they could totally pull it off, but you know, when they do do reggae songs, the fact that they don't, you know, there's only one or two per album kind of, I, I think, yeah. you know, makes the, the reggae songs stronger, I would say. Definitely makes them stand out, yeah. for sure. I do like their their uh, dub record, though. Hey? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, like I, I would love to hear a straight-up reggae album, other than the dub one, I mean, from the Bad Brains. But Yeah, yeah. I mean, hindsight for those guys, right? Like, I don't yeah, know. They, I, I've said many times on the show, and I stand by it, I think they should have stuck with Israel Josephi after Rise. I think Rise is a totally underrated album, and I don't think they made another good album with HR after that. Uh, I think they're good. I just don't think they're great. Yeah, I Gotta Love has like a few good songs on it, but yeah, yeah, I don't know. I like them all, but I understand like Rise, amazing record, and had they stuck with Israel, they could have done amazing, amazing things for sure. Well, they they would have put out more records for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah that's for one right yeah. yeah so i found this washington post article from 1995 by richard harrington called lame brains and this was written after hr was arrested for assaulting two fans in anthony county during the god of love god of love tour with the beastie boys oh yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. there's it's in the book too here yeah they're giving a brief rundown of the band's history but here's here's a quote i pulled from earl HR wanted to check the next avenue. I guess he wanted to do more reggae at the time. So he, he did that for a while. Who am I to question him? him? He's his own man. He knows his own destination still. And here's HR. I wanted to get involved with some serious roots music to record a couple of albums that were something officially orthodox and authentic. Mm. Interesting, Ryan, you were giving the the rundown of the musicians. This is like... You know, we've kind of seen the same collaborators on all of these records. You know, like people like Kenny Dredd, David Byers, Al Walker, David Jordan, uh, etc. This is almost an entirely new cast of characters. Yeah, I know it's interesting. A lot of these people on this this record, like the the backup singers and stuff like that, I assume some of them are like uh, members of the the Twelve Tribes of Israel, which is the Rastafarian sect that HR was a part of, maybe. I think so. Well, I think Ross Simeon is his son, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Scott Cossey, who played guitar on this record and also co-produced with Jim Ebert, Jim told me that he he was a friend of of his, actually. That's how Mm -hmm. he came into the record. And uh, that, unfortunately, he passed away a few few years ago from heart failure. And then the the liners also list Daniel as executive producer. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's the thing about these records. Like it's so hard to find people 
you know, like it'll just say a name like that, Daniel. And I, I just want to say before we th throw to Linwood, he spells his name with an I, L-I-N. Lin oh, Linwood does? Yeah. Okay. I, so I don't know if he was spelling it different at this time or if it's a typo, but the, the liner notes on everywhere on the HR record is L-Y-N. Mm. Yeah. yeah, it's possible. I mean, he was there just for, like, it sounds like one session. So, yeah. Yeah. Let's throw to Linwood. All right. We're joined on the podcast today by Linwood Taylor. Linwood, thanks for being on the show. Uh, my pleasure. Okay. Did you grow up in D.C.? Yes, I did. I grew up in the Washington, D.C. area. Yeah. I, I've, I've been here quite a while. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when did you first start playing guitar? In the late 60s. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, like 30 out of 40 kids in my class, including a teacher, played some level of guitar. So that was the one time I joined the crowd. <laughs> right. <laughs> was it blues that grabbed you or what was uh, it? It, well, it was whatever, folk music. The, the teacher uh, kind of put himself through college, I believe, uh, doing the folk boom, you know, from Boston. And uh, he really could do a great version of uh, House of the Rising Sun. Mm. I mean, he had a great voice, you know, that, that Irish tenor thing, you know. But, uh, yeah, he, he did it, and everyone loved that. And, of course, you know, Jimmy K Hendrix came out of, around the same time, which was something I could relate to. In addition, music was always played in my house. Rock and roll, jazz, R&B, it, it, was, it was always there, you know? Mm -hmm. Did you play in bands in high school? Uh, uh, yeah, I had a, uh, yeah, we had a little band. Nothing ever came of it. Um, nothing ever came of most of the bands I played with, but... I was the one who stuck with it and managed to, you know, keep moving up the ladder, if you will. Did you know the guys in Bad Brains? Like, did you go to high school with them, or how did you get? Oh no, 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 no! They, they, they went into. They were in one. I was a little older for one, and and for two, I I went to a private school. So hmm. so much for a paid for education. But uh, you know, I had seen Bad Brains. Uh, on one of their first shows. And uh, when I recorded uh, with HR, uh, and I, I explained to him where I saw him, uh, the place was called Oddfellows in Baltimore. Mm. And his, his, his eyes got big and, and were like, oh my goodness, you were there at the beginning, <laughs> which was interesting, you know, because it was a punk show. And I was sort of, I was supporting a friend of mine who was playing in a band. Um, and it's funny because he was a country bass player, but he was playing keyboards in this band. And I went there and I see all these guys with like swatch stickers and shave heads. I'm like, uh-oh, this looks dubious. And I turn the corner and Bad Brains is on stage. I'm like, okay, this is out there, you know? <laughs> Did you know they were from D.C.? No, I found out who they were and all of that much later because they used to play... A, a spot called DC Space, and they used to play uh, some other, you know, places around town. But so I had heard of them. I, I knew who they were, and I, I had their recordings. And then uh, the guy from the Cars, I want to say Rick Ocasek, yep. uh, produced one of their albums. I want to say Eye Against Eye or, or, or Rock something for like Light, that. Rock for Life. That's it. That's it. Okay. So how did you get involved with this Charge record? Well. It's funny, I'm working at a music store 
uh, Wheaton music, not Chuck Levin's Wheaton music, you know, got to distinguish between the two, the little guys. So I'm working there and I get a call. Hey, we need a guitar player. Can you come tonight? I said, yeah. So I, you know, as soon as I got off work, which at that point was nine o'clock, I just drove over the Q recording studios and, uh, there I was. And I was familiar with Jeff Jeffries because I had worked at his place when his studio was actually in his parents' basement, mm. you know, a few years ago. Um, so they called me up and, and I went over, you know, I, you know, I just happened to have a guitar with me and I borrowed an amp and all that kind of thing, you know. Jeff was the owner of the, of Q? Yes, I believe, yes, I believe so. Yeah. Was and it, I'm probably the producer or something like that, or the, or at least the engineer. Yeah, Jim Ebert was the engineer. Okay, Jim. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do I mean that? That was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. When that was like eighty nine or something. Yeah, around there. Yeah, July and August of eighty nine. Actually, do you do you know which songs you might have played on? A lot of them. Yeah. Pretty much all. You know, they were like going through the album. Play something on this. Play something on this. I got no song titles. I, I I got no keys. You know, I had to figure all of this out. You know, on the fly. Were the vocals recorded? Yeah, yeah. I, I was just putting in. I I was fitting my guitar parts into uh, where I was told to fit them into. Mm. Uh, you know, if that makes sense. And they had pretty much done all of this, and I was just adding some parts. Mm. Were like the band members around at that point when you were recording? HR was around. Uh, I, I, HR was, I think the bass player, I think, I forget, I think it was Englishman. Yeah. You know, he was there because I, I actually wound up playing a, a few gigs with Englishman after that. Hmm. You know, this was, this was, this was a, a reggae album, which I had listened to, but, but I wasn't like as, how can I, you know, it's one of those, I have listened to a lot of music whether I played it or not was a different thing, but I always wound up playing all of this music that I listened to, whether I was steeped in it or not. I simply recall what I'd heard people do and try to get into that, you know, into that vein, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, like there's some bluesy style guitar playing on the record too. I'm a blues guy. By this time, by this time I'm a blues guy and I had played because that door had opened up for me and uh, I walked right on to it, through it. I mean, I'm a rocker per se, but at the same time, you know, the blues door opened for me. And since I couldn't find a vocalist, my voice can handle a blues voice, you know, blues type of sound. So that's what I did, you know, and I just kept getting more more and more gigs and better gigs and getting to play with, uh, you know, famous blues men and, and the like. And it's like the rest is history. <laughs> yeah. So you said you played with Englishmen later on? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Who? Yeah. It, you know, it, it, it was kind of like, you know, he, he called me or he, or it was, it was a type of thing where we're playing on a, like a Tacoma park, a street festival you know, kinds of things. They have different uh, styles of music and different uh, genres of bands playing. And, you know, I I would play and 
Englishmen and say, hey, man, come play. I remember you. Come play with me. So I come and play with them, too, you know? Hmm. Was he from D.C.? I don't, I didn't know him that well. I don't, I I mean, he, I guess he would have to be living in this area, you know, at, at that at that period of time, you know. But you know, I, I, it, it was the type of thing where um, he called, you know, he called me, you know, um, to, you know, to, to play or something like that. But and I and I I would play with him, but I, I I was not like a member of his band. It was like he'd run into me, and he would always have me play with him, you know. Okay, well, I was going to ask you who some of the other people on this record are, but it doesn't sound like they were maybe around when you, at the same time as you. But do you know Dean Harris at all? He played trumpet. He was in Trouble Funk, I believe. Okay. Now, see, he wasn't there when I did the session. As I said, mm -hmm. these, these were... These were uh, I, it, it's tough for me to remember who was... You know, I know HR was there because I, I conversed with him, mm -hmm. and Englishman was there because he, you know, I I had conversed with him, and that's how I, he remembered me, you know. But at the same time, you know, that that's what I remember about the session, you know, mm -hmm. and you know, as I said, this was a this was a late night affair because I I remember leaving the session at O Dark Thirty and literally going right back to to wheat and music, you know, uh, I got some breakfast and sleeping in my car and getting back and going back to work, you know. Did they pay you for the session? Oh, oh yeah, 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 I got paid. Yep. So I, I, got, I got a check cut right there. I was like, yeah, buddy. <laughs> I, I remember the car I was driving. It was a 70, like a 77 Ford that was rust and dent. You know, it was, I paid like 200 for the car and sold it for three because they wanted to, the boat people wanted the, the big 460 that was in it, you know, a real gas guzzler. Yeah. But, you know, lots of power. But, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I just remember that, you know. You never played any shows with them, with the band? I played a show with HR hmm. uh, at the Bayou, okay? I, I got a call to come and sit in is what that that's what it was said. It's kind of a weird thing. I got a call to, to sit in and, uh, you know, I show up, you know, I'm all set up and, and the next thing you know, I'm, I'm thinking sit in and, and, and my world is I'm playing a couple of songs, right? No, I'm playing a whole show. Okay. <laughs> So I'm like, okay, a lot of these songs I haven't played since. Plus, I'm playing Bad Brains material. Oh, wow. You know? <laughs> yeah, so I'm like, okay. So I, I just plug my little, little guitar in, and I'm watching the the uh, uh, the fellow's name was Skitch, um, the guitar player. Mm -hmm. And so I'm okay. Oh, this is great. He's upside down. <laughs> you know, he's left-handed and upside down. I'm like, okay. So I can't look at his hand and go, okay, I know what he's doing, you know, right. but it's okay. You know, I, I, I you know, I, I, one, this is one of my earliest times being in this kind of situation, which has helped me much later in life, but, um, or I should say my career, mm -hmm. but I, so I'm, I'm playing this and I, I remember the gig. It was highly energetic it was the crowd went, you know, bananas or whatever. But 
the musically, the thing was really cool because HR would point to us and not go make it distinct. We both start playing leads at the same time, but I know how to play with another guitar player doing leads at the dual leads at the same time to stay out of his way. Mm -hmm. And some really, I just remember some really, really super cool things were happening. You know, Uh, I just like, I wish there was a table bit somewhere. Yeah, no kidding. You mentioned that you've Uh, played with some, some other bigger blues artists. Yeah. Pretty sure you played with Albert Collins. Yes, I did. I played, I played there at the Bayou. I played there at eight by 10 chestnut cabaret. I mean, Albert had his own band and a couple of times he would come through and not have a a rhythm guitar player. So I would fill in, you know, you know, I played, but you know, uh, you know, play with the uh, Luther Allison, and much later I uh, play off and on with Joe Lewis Walker. Um, play with Johnny Rawls off and on. You know, um, you know. And plus, by this time I've been doing my own thing, so I've played in Italy, Czech Republic, Hong Kong under my own name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Linwood Taylor Band. Yeah, yeah. And actually, I just call it Linwood Taylor because you know I would just go. <laughs> You know, and hire local guys. Are you still touring? Yeah. Well, when I can, yeah, I'm, I'm lining some things up, some travel gigs for next year, and um, you know, I'm trying to try to do that. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm still trying to fill in the rest of this year. You know, I, I, I you know, I don't, I don't have a, a manager or anything of that. You know, you know, I, you know, anything like that. It's just, you know, I'm doing, I do my thing. You know. <laughs> it's the music business and but you know I'm I'm cool with it because I don't have to travel I only travel when it's you know it suits me you know Yeah what about recordings if people want to check check out your music Um I have a couple of albums out but I I've got a couple in the can I just I just haven't put them out yet and um I I need to polish them up a little bit more and uh, get get things that that's on the agenda and I'm actually trying to record some new material um, as we speak, so that you know, as the saying goes. Right on. You, you know, uh, but yeah, the other stuff—it's all self-produced. I'm not really, you know, signing up with a record company can be really frustrating. And I did it once, and it's just really frustrating because it's it's the kind of thing that some. I'm sadly they try to manipulate you. Mm-hmm. You know, into something that's not you, and you're like, "Oh, that's this is not what I do. This is what I do. Why, why are you trying to get me to do this?" You know, and it's just like, and then it's like, okay. Plus, you know, there's too many shell games going on. And you said you have a gig tonight. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I, I got a gig tonight in Falls Church. Right on. Um, you know, place is called JV's. If anyone's local is hearing that. <laughs> <laughs> Right on. Linwood, thanks Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me. I really appreciate oh, it. Oh, my pleasure. All right. So cool to have Linwood on. And like I said, to add more to the story from someone who was there. And I know you can't tell what songs Linwood was on, but when you hear that interview and then you re-listen to the record and you, you can maybe get like a really educated guess yeah, for sure. on, on some of the solos, some of the licks and you're like, okay, that that's someone who has a bit more of a blues background. I would say it totally 
adds some great character to this record. Great call on the part of Scott and HR to call up Linwood and to get him into the studio and add to this amazing record. Yeah, he's a pretty shit-hot blues man, I guess, like Chicago-style blues, I guess you would call it. I found this album on tap, Baltimore, live at the Cat's Eye, and he's got some live tracks on it, and it it's great. The crowd is, you know, definitely really into it. Sounds like just this super rowdy blues blues crowd just grooving. Yeah, I loved in the interview that he's like, you know, yeah, yeah, you know, if you come on down to the show, hey, <laughs> just he's just like a, a a real practicing blues musician hustling for people to get to the show. Love that. Yeah. Let's talk about this record, man. History lesson part two. Mentioned this a few times, Ryan, but recorded at Q in Falls Church, Virginia, July and August 1989, released 1990 on CD, LP, and cassette. All songs by HR except for one, which we'll, I'll mention when we go through the tracks. Interesting, you know, what you said, how you said he was like writing the songs too. Like I'm always interested about these musicians who don't necessarily play an instrument, at least not proficiently. Or like, like Jello, Jello Biafra, right? Yeah, he's yeah. he's the one that I always think of, right? Because he all those amazing Dead Kennedy songs, he wrote them in his head and just hummed them. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it sounds like HR had a similar process too. Well, it sounds like H... I don't know, based on what Englishman said, it sounds like uh, HR kind of tapped out some on the piano too. Yeah. Okay, so side one is called Beginning, I guess. That's what the, the LP calls it, Beginning. Yep. And we start with the song Rasta. Some similar sounds to, you know, to his other albums, reggae, of course, but with some rock elements, especially the guitar leads and the, the guitar tones, like very shred metal tones sometimes on the guitars almost. Mm-hmm. You know, definitely like it makes you think of Bad Brains, I would say. For sure. You know, you like, could hear you could hear him doing the song with the bad brain yeah. so easily. Yeah. Super lush production. All you know you can hear all of the subtleties in the mix. The the trumpet, the sax, the keys, the backing vocals. Um this is just a great song, great opener. You can feel the intensity, obviously, in the vocal. Yeah. Um he's just not holding back, pull you know, pulling everything out of that trademark. HR arsenal of vocal histronics, like uh, those big inhaled shrieks that he does, for example. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, right off the bat, too, a big difference from some of the prior records that we've listened to from HR. There's definitely some synths and some keys on this record, but it doesn't fall prey to some of that cheesy 80s production. Uh, And it it really benefits from that. Like, there's nothing like that distracting your mm-hmm. ears mm-hmm. and taking taking away from the song as much on this record yeah on the few songs there is but yeah yeah, yeah. but no, come on man it's not no. nearly as in your face it's not no yeah and i mentioned this too already as well right off the hop the bait and it's i think it goes partially to the production and partially to the playing the playing is stellar by englishman on bass mm-hmm. but the but the mix of the bass on this record they were going full full bass thumping on it and it's just awesome the yeah. lines are amazing yeah uh yeah the next song is shame and them game there again you know a total doc style shred lick for a split second at the start mm-hmm. this song is almost like prog reggae 
like there's some serious weird time signatures and some very quick tempo shifts, but it works. Uh, it's also an amazing sounding record. Again, they they really nailed it. Like this is the HR record we've been waiting for, I mm-hmm. would say. For sure. Uh, the next one, just because I'm poor, great soulful roots reggae from HR. Throughout this album, um, those super high falsetto vocals that you hear like on Junior Mervin records or Augustus Pablo records, I'm not sure who that was, if that was HR, one of the backing vocalists. Um, a similar, uh, you know, th- this theme of like being poor and stuff is is something we've heard on other HR and Bad Brains records. It's like almost like something of a badge of honor maybe for HR, like, or, you know, just the fact that having money and success was, you know, that's Babylon system, right? So we can't have that. Yeah, powerfully, powerfully defiant lyrics. Yeah. Something I noticed about this song is all of the songs are published by Nectar Music. That's interesting. You know, uh, at least someone knew enough to help HR set up a a publishing company instead of just using Gin's Sestone like so many of the artists did on SST. Mm -hmm. But this song, Just Because I'm Poor, uh, for some reason was published in 1987. All the rest are 1990 by Nectar. This one's 1987 by Emissary and Olive Tree Records, HR's ah. label that he owned. So obviously this song dates back a little ways. Yeah, Olive Tree with uh, with Julie Bird. Yeah, it, it, as far as I can tell, it, it's not on all any of the Olive Tree. Well, we've talked about all of HR's Olive Tree output. and Yeah. So I wonder if maybe it's on uh, one of those other, like where the site, no. no, not the psychotic Zion Train. It's, it's not, not on the it's Zion not Train. On that. No. No, Zion Train, I think, is maybe the only other band on yeah. Olive Tree, right? Well, uh, Beef Eater, but. Oh, yeah, right, 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 right. Uh, the next one, While You Were Sleeping. So this is the one with some co-writes. HR with Dan Lovett and Vinnie Lewis. Could not find out anything about those two fellas. Don't know who they are, but I, I guess probably friends of HR's. These keyboards, though, like, yikes. I, I could do without the keyboards on this one. Yeah, yeah, I know. I could I could hear past it, though, to the amazing snare flams and rim shots that Earl is laying down, just owning the pocket on this track. Yeah. Owning the pocket. (laughs) He owns the pocket, man. (laughs) Dancing souls is the next one. It's okay. Pretty unmemorable, but an okay track for me. And then we flip it over already to side two or the end side. And then we've got the title track charge. This is always a fun track when it comes on. Uh, with, you know, with the, the, the bugle, you know, whatever you call it, the charge thing that you Mm -hmm. would do if you were in a cavalry or whatever. Or Wilma and Betty. Right. (laughs) Charge it, right? Yeah, right. With all of the percussion and the trumpet on this song, uh, the melody, love the solo at the end, you know, some whammy bar action. Yeah, there's a great, like the breakdown section in this track is really really tasty yep then the next one is Selassie Fee this is a weird song with that descending keyboard and vocal pattern that he does mm-hmm. it's cool but it's odd Earl's definitely just laying down the rim shots again for me I love that yeah. I love and he's just laying into the kick drum on so many of these tracks too that you know it would the dance floor would just be hopping man yep 
saddest day this is almost like soul music definitely has that quality of being like a spiritual hymn that a lot of roots reggae has yeah i thought the song rasta even had some r&b vibes to it just with the backing vocals the shooby doop and the backing yep. singers on it it's definitely got some soul vibes throughout the record yep uh the next one let love lead the way and love is l-u-v one of the standouts the guitar yes. har- harmonies are great uh englishman and englishman and earl just holding it all down just like sly and robbie uh very cool groove the tempo changes again in this track are so inventive so odd yeah and then it's reggae closes the record almost a callback to charge um the 12 tribes get a shout out it's a cool way to end the record this is by far hr's best solo album um i don't think there's any really any debate about that is there i don't think so he has great tracks on every record this one is almost all great. Yeah. Um, and by the way, I love in this It's Reggae song, it sounds like Englishman is using a fretless on it. Mm. And I, I don't know, It's this could very easily be kind of, you know, not, not a very interesting or exciting or kind of a weaker track as the last one on the record. It's not at all. This record finishes super strong with Let Love Lead and It's Reggae. Super strong. Yeah. And this, this track is really, you know, just a celebration, I would say. Awesome. In a lot of ways, this is like his first bona fide solo record, right? Mm. Like, I, you know, Human Rights was more, I think, more of a band concept. You know, the, the, the album Human Rights. And then you've got, you know, um, It's About Love, which is, I don't know, I guess it's an album. I kind of think of that as more, as, more of an it's EP. An e- it's an EP, yeah. I would say. And then you've got yep. the 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 12-inch singles. Singing in the Heart is almost like, you know, that was kind of him repurposing songs off the Ross Michael album, a lot of them anyways, you know? Yeah. I, I think you could make the argument that this is his first proper solo album. Yeah. Iconic cover photo by Lex Remlin. I, I honestly always assumed that this was a Naomi Peterson photo, I guess. I've never, I don't know if I've ever actually read the liner notes before mm. couldn't find out a ton about lex definitely f- photographed bands from around this era i found a great promo photo he did from from around this time of the pandoras but you know considering how kind of iconic this cover photo is it didn't seem to to lead to a ton more work but you know who knows what the story is there mm-hmm. the logo in insert lettering by craig abara who uh, you know was a in-house design guy for SST. Um, the insert lettering, all handwritten. The song titles are kind of like the the title on the cover, and then the lyrics are more of like an all caps comic book style almost. Mm-hmm. You've got the red, green, and gold of the Ethiopian flag for the the album title, which was used by Rastafarians around the world. Um, it's kind of a symbol of of Rastafarianism some great black and white picks inside also the record was also released on clear yellow vinyl at one point well, i don't have that one i just got a plain old boring black one and no dead wax yeah i do like the uh abera's touch on the hr symbol where yeah. the circle of the r it looks like an eye mm. 
Yeah. See, it's like a little eye. Like the HR symbol is on point, but then that little, it looks like, um, I don't know, maybe it's like the eye of, the li- of a lion. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. The, li- the that, lion of Judah. Exactly. That would make sense. So great, great graphics Maybe there. it's the prophet's eye. Awesome. Yeah, that might make sense because of the sunbeams coming out. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And then the back cover too, also kind of suiting that all of the lettering and design is overlaid on some clouds, you know, looking up to heaven. Yeah. Awesome. Totally Return fitting. to heaven, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> nice one. <laughs> totally fitting. Yeah. Ballot result? Yeah, man. Ballot result. Well, there's a ton on this one. Let's see. Uh, let me throw it over to the expert. Well, I was going to say, considering SST's spotty record of not always highlighting the best songs on compilations or like as promo singles and stuff like that, for me, the four best songs on this record are the four that they selected for the um, for the HR anthology, which we're going to be getting to in like oh, 100 yeah, yeah. episodes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Shame in Them Game, Let Love, Just Because I'm Poor, and Rasta. Oh, yeah. I have Let Love as my favorite, for sure, because I love the time signature breaks. Yeah, well, let's do that, because we're going to get another crack at these songs. Yeah. I just love the groove and the tempo changes on that song, Let Love. Awesome. Awesome. Hey, Ryan, thanks to Linwood Taylor for being on the show. Yeah. What's coming up next, Ryan? SST 257, The Volcano Suns double LP thing of beauty looking forward to it man hey everyone thanks for listening you can find us on Facebook Instagram Twitter Tumblr all at Mojack Pod we post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show our blog is mojackpod.com please check it out for some exclusive content if you like what we do and want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to tell your friends about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes is also appreciated. We love hearing your opinions, corrections, and feedback, so feel free to post on our social media sites and send us an email to mojackpod at gmail.com. Thanks again for all the support, and we hope to see you next week.